Welcome to the System to Success show. On this show, we'll cover the best growth advice from top CEOs in North America and beyond. On each episode, your host, Jay Crutchfield, he's a former software engineer turned entrepreneur, created and maintained online marketing, online sales, and fulfillment systems for global brands. He offers non-traditional wisdom about business systems mastery, while his guests share the story of how they built their companies. Jay and his guests talk entrepreneurship, digital marketing, strategy, and business principles. But they also talk about what it means to be human with all the ups and downs, advances, and setbacks. And what he does is he takes his information and strategies that has helped catapult global brands and brings that to the small business owner to give them the advantage. Make sure to subscribe and follow for more of these business system mastery principles. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jay Crutchfield, and I'm excited. We have a very special guest in the house. Her focus, yes. <laughs> Again, her focus is to be powerful and be you and make a positive impact. That's Begin's call to action. She goes by her first name. Begin says, if first names are good enough for Oprah, Beyonce, Shakira, it is good enough for her. Mm-hmm. Begin, the only Latina and one of only eight women inducted into the 60-member Motivational Speaker Hall of Fame. Wow. Others include Anthony Robbins and Jack Canfield. Her company was named the number three fastest growing privately owned companies in North Florida. And she was one of three 2016 women who rock in business by Macy's. So without any further ado, welcome to the stage for game. Welcome. Yay! I'm so glad to be here, Jay. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to being here tonight with you. Oh, yes. It's definitely going to be a pleasure. And I know you have that great energy, so this is really going to be fun. (laughs) Anytime that we can um, inspire and impact and elevate people who are looking to be passionate and communicate and serve the world is a good thing right and for them to be prosperous and make money is a great thing yes that's definitely added benefit (laughs) Uh oh go ahead no i was gonna say that you know it's always nice to make a difference and then you know i i love saying you know it lord bless me indeed Mm -hmm. so that i can be a blessing to others Mm -hmm. right so it's always a yin yang you got to be able to you want to serve, but it's okay for you to receive too. Yes, I totally agree with that. That sounds yeah. uh, familiar. Is that the prayer of Jabez? What? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So, Pagin, can you share just a little bit more about your background so the audience can get to know you a little bit better? So, I'll give you all the short version because. you'd hear the whole story and we'd have to watch him make a movie out of it. (laughs) So the short version is, um, grew up in the Bronx and by the time, you know, had the, the violent story that, you know, hard knocks, all of that. By the time I was 13, I was, had entered a girl's Latina gang and 
you know, my sister was a local prostitute and, and was a junkie. Parents were divorced, domestic violence, all of that stuff. And when I was 17, um, and during that time, you know, kicked out of two high schools, uh, my mom had signed me up with Girl Scouts. So I was gang member and Girl Scout at the same time, which was really amazing. And, but the, both of those balances were great because they allowed me to become who I am. And I call myself a feisty, fearless, focused, fun female leader. Boom. <laughs> and when I was 17, I stood in front of Jack's candy store. And although you would have walked to the other side of the street when you saw me at that point, you know, I had the cigarette, I had the bandana, I had my, my jean jacket. And, and um, what you didn't know what was going through my head which was, there has got to be something else for me. This cannot be what my life is about. And honestly, in that moment, I had kind of a, I, I imagine this vision like this, like a, of, a, of a TV, kind of like what we're doing right now. This, you know, experts being on a, a, on, a, on a, well, we didn't have video back on a TV, right? Mm -hmm. And I had no idea what that meant. No clue, no clue. I just knew it was time for me to leave. And at 17, when you're leaving a Bronx gang, which was really, really tough, in my mind, they were I was so important that they were get, sorry so much. By the way, you hear that song? Yes. That's my song. I have my own song that I wrote and sing and carry with me because. I'm oh. Yeah, because yeah, I'm picking. What else would I do? You know, <laughs> I think everybody should have their own song. No, no, anyway. At 17, I just decided to leave, and I didn't think that I could go like to Brooklyn or I could have gone to Staten Island. I thought I was too important. Never entered my mind to go to Florida or Georgia or California. I had to leave the country. So I ended up uh, choosing Spain, and I went when I was uh, 17 and a half. I left the States, went to Spain by myself, didn't go on any of those classes or any of that stuff. And... Um, through a series of incidents and opportunities, I ended up opening the first bilingual nursery school by the time I was 18, because I ran out of money and I had to figure out how to make money. Long story there. And by 23, I came back to the States and I worked my way up from receptionist to national sales manager, then uh, director of operations and eventually president of a, um, a direct sales company. And had this calling that I was supposed to go back and serve uh, other kids in gangs. So I went back to school and I got my master's in social work, which led me to run um, programs for high-risk youth, teen, teen, teen gang violence, prevention of HIV, AIDS, welfare reform, teen pregnancy, foster care, foster care reunification, and all that. But I always taught them about sales. That led to people hearing about me, which led for me being Montel Williams. Do you know Montel Williams? Yes. So Montel used to have a big TV show on yes. regular TV, right? And he heard about my work and with my teen girls and my gang members and called my office and spoke to my team about me being on TV with my girls. And we did. And I ended up being on his TV show for 32 times and he won his first Emmy with me. And then from that, He's the one that got me into speaking. So he's got into my face, got really close like this, and yelling at me in the green room, because that's what he does. Like, 
get to my peer. What are you doing? Nobody speaks the way you speak. You should be out there. What are you doing? You should be a paid speaker. And I had no clue what he was talking about. Clueless. Um, like, what are you talking about? And he's the one that educated me about professional speaking and being out there and you could actually get paid to speak. And even though all my years in corporate and all the things that I had done never dawned on me. I remember once, only once that, and this was after I spoke to Montel once hiring uh, a professor for some conference. And I was shocked that we were paying her a thousand dollars for an hour. I mean, that just was like, what? You know, and she sucked. And it was like, that was even more like, Oh my God, what, when? That was when I really was like, oh, maybe that's what he's talking about. So that's my, that's my quick story. <laughs> and now I've been in, I've been a full-time professional speaker, full-time uh, for over 20 years, 20 plus years. I've made a lot of money and I lost a lot of money and I made a lot of money and I lost a lot because anybody that tells you that they always make a lot of money and they keep all the money if they came from the neighborhood that I am in, you don't know about money. So yeah, you are going to lose it. You know, kind of like, so anyway, that's my story. <laughs> so, so Bagania, it sounds like a very interesting uh, pathway uh, for you getting into speaking. So being so involved um, in uh, you said in gangs and Girl Scouts. And, uh, you know, I was just thinking, like, you know, what, what was the connection there, you know, for you being involved in both of those things? Well, it was really easy. So my mom, so my oldest sister, right, was out in the streets. She mm -hmm. had run away 16 times. And my mom, I had, it was me and then my younger brother. And my mom finally told her, you know, you run away again. I, I've got two other kids to worry about. I can't keep on going into the drug dens and trying to find you. And she said, you know, this is going to be, this is your choice. You've made a decision. I can help you, but you're going. So she went away. Well, now I was younger and she kind of saw me starting to go in a, in a, in a similar path. And a mother reaches the point. She goes, no one, heck no, it's not happening. So she actually called Girl Scouts and said, you know, my daughter's, a, we didn't use the words high risk, and you know, it was, was a troubled teen, and is there anything for girls for troubled teen? That same day, here's how serendipity works, that same day, some woman from Wall Street, who was single, but it was a Wall Street muckety-muck, wanted to give back to the community, wanted to do something, so she called the same Girl Scout troop that day, not the troop, the center, mm -hmm. and said, I'm only interested in working with three of your toughest girls. That's all I want to work with. So my mom goes, oh, well, we have one. And then two other women, mothers, also called about their two daughters who are also in gangs. So it ended up being me, Denise, and Barbara from three different gang groups, all in this group with Mrs. B. I don't remember her real name. All we called was Mrs. B. And Mrs. B was, um, that woman was this blonde, tough, she was, she went and she said, girls, I'm here with you. I mean, we were like in this church and she's, I'm here with you and I'm telling you, we're going to do it. We're not going to do it the normal way. I don't do cookies. And I don't do arts and crafts. 
we're going to do this my way. And she would every Wednesday meet us in the Bronx and then take us on the train, the subways, to go to um, Wall Street. So we would get there like at 4.30, took us like an hour to get into the city. It'd be like 4.30 or so when everybody was kind of leaving work and she would stop. I mean, imagine you're walking, right? Jay, imagine you're walking, you're coming out of your office, you're in your suit, you're coming out, you know, you've been like focused and you have this woman who has three girls all in gang jackets. The only agreement that we all made is that we would wear the stupid cadet beret hat. Yeah. So with this. All right, so we had the gang jackets and we'd be like this. Imagine three teenagers trying to look cool and have attitudes, mm -hmm. you know, standing behind this white woman with this blonde puffy hair. And she would say, stop, you, you stop. Tell them how you got where you are. And you would go like, uh, like I went to school. I, you know, she, you do this. She would stop women. The women would grab their pocketbooks because we were like, come on, come on, like this. And, but all that time that we were with her, I was with her for about two years. She, she was showing us first, we thought she was crazy. You have to understand, she was taking three badass tough girls in a gang downtown and acting crazy stopping people on the street <laughs> now we were standing behind her we thought she was crazy right we, we really did think she was nuts and she acted like a crazy person who who does that and the way the people that reacted to her because she was also very intimidating you know she she was a she had a big personality and she was i can think about may west right but in a in a new york city kind of business suit you know she was she was not not going to be heard right and she, and that's really what she was teaching us was don't let anybody decide who you are don't let anybody stop you and and years later i mean i years later when i left spain and i came back and i was doing a territorial salesperson i had found a quote that said um, by Eleanor Roosevelt, what no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. And I didn't know what that meant, Jay. I took that little quote and I hung it up. I, I just because it was like, I had proof of all the people that made me feel inferior. I had proof, I could show you proof of people that discounted me, put me down. I mean, I had proof, right? So what was she saying that nobody could feel inferior? And, but that was the beginning of the, I understood then what Mrs. B was trying to educate us, right? You're the one that decides how people perceive about you. You're the one who's responsible for how they receive you. You're the one that could go after whatever you want. You're the one that could be whoever you want, combined with that quote, right? No one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Years later, you know, these shifts and transformations started for me. And then the clarity of hearing, you know, what you think of me is none of my business. What I think of me is all of my business. I have wrapped that 
in my life. I, I, that's why when I talk about, you know, be powerful, be you, you were put on this earth to do what you're doing because that's your mission. So the path lights up for you. You have to be yourself. You can't, I cannot be Oprah. I can't be Shakir. I can't, well, definitely can't be, you know, I, I, that's not who I am. I can't be anybody else. And every time I've tried, and especially in the world of speaking, people try to be like somebody. They try to, oh, I like that. I'm going to, I'm going to do what that person does. You know, I'm going to try to talk like Les Brown. I'm going to try to talk like Mel Robbins. I'm going to try to be like somebody and you, and you can't, you just can't do it because you won't have any business. You've got to be you. So I probably went off into a tangent, but that's my, that's what I was learning. And that's, how the Girl Scouts and the gang kind of connected. My mom just wanted to keep me safe. And she wanted me to see alternatives to what I was being shown, right? She wanted me, so Girl Scouts was the, it's the one thing that I'm very aware of that there's always a yin and yang, right? So I thought that the gang was the only thing that I knew. This is my, what I knew my neighborhood. This is what I thought I was. Never knew about the other pieces, you know, never, I was never, ever, ever a great student in school. I, I cut out of more classes in junior high. The fact that I even got from junior high to high school is a miracle. The fact that I was kicked out of my first high school and then just, you know, went to another high school that was a small for, a, you know, the small little private school that allowed me. So I don't know how my mom eked into me, but I went to school with all the, the mafia kids so I went with, back then there was a lot of mafia wars going on. I went to school with all the, my, my, my high school prom, not that you've asked, but my high school prom, when my date picked me up, what he said was, okay, when we go to the prom, which was at the Waldorf Astoria, just know if they start shooting, just go under the table. <laughs> that was, hey, you look beautiful. There might be gunshots tonight, you know, just go underneath the table. Um, so, you know, it's like, I can never tell about all the stories that I have, but I have a lot of stories. Let me tell you. So uh, I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful, like super grateful to, to be, to be talking to you, to be talking to everybody that's here. How awesome is that? Cause honestly, it could have gone in a whole different way, mm -hmm. but it didn't. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, it's, it's, I'm, I'm just, I'm excited just hearing your, your, you know, your background and uh, just, just how, just how you transition with guidance um, from, from others for, you know, first with your mom and wanting something better uh, for you. And then uh, you said Mrs. B, who was a crazy Wall Street lady, <laughs> who took you guys under her wings and yeah. just showed you a, a better way. And I like what you said um, about that quote from Eleanor Roosevelt, is nobody can make you feel inferior without your consent. Right. And so, and so how, how did you start to use that quote and experiences with Mrs. B 
to start to transform and shift your mind to a place where you feel special, you feel important and valued? Well, I, I will tell you that transformation takes time. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I've done more kinds of self-awareness courses. I've done when I, I've gone to 12 step programs. I've been in, I've taken more online, you know, free classes that you didn't have any money. So I was always looking for the, you know, what can I see? I, I, when I started getting me a little money, then I started investing and taking some courses. Um, I used to go to a therapist, even though I'm a master's in social work, therapy and me was not like, I, I kind of wanted to beat them up. You know, I wasn't very receptive to a lot of that. I, I kept on trying. I mean, I've been married for 33 years and we went four times, you know, to therapists. And so, when push comes to shove, we're, we, we are going, we're going just to have that ability to talk. But most importantly, I, th you know, I really started reading. I started from early on. I found books that just called to me, um, old time success magazines. Like I'm talking old time. Um, starting to find, and because I, when I went into, um, started as receptionist, I was receptionist in a sales force. Uh, for Pierre Cardin Gant. So some of those guys that were a salesman would be listening all the time in their cars and they'd come in and they'd share it amongst each other, you know, Dale Carnegie and Zig Ziglar stuff. Um, I didn't know who those people were. I only knew that the really successful um, of them, that's what they were listening to. These and honestly, I mean, I struggled through them. Struggle. I had a, had a lot of biases that I had to get over. Um, because so many of the people that they were talking about, just, you know, we had such different backgrounds and experiences and that, that I mean, I, I will say that I struggled. You know, I, I read Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, probably when I was 23, the first time. You know, and it, and I, it was so, just so different than any experiences that I knew or people that I knew. You know, like how many white guys did I know that, how many rich white guys did I know? not you know how many so some of the, the languaging and stuff were I will I will definitely say that I stopped myself a lot because of my own biases my own prejudices my own stuff that blocked me from seeing probably messages that I could have seen you know, so, so when you go back to that, no one can make you feel inferior about without your consent. Even those books made me feel inferior. You know, even those, I just use that. Well, you don't know me. You don't understand where I came from. You don't understand what my, my life, you don't understand. I mean, I would be talking to the books, like really like these people were dead for how many years? You know, Napoleon Hill, he, he's not, um, they can't hear me, 
but I would argue with him. Argue for my belief that it wasn't true. Argue for my belief that what I think is what I get. You know, like I fought that one because you were doing it to me, Jay. I was, I was victim number one. I mean, I was, you know, I carried the cross. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Yes. I, I, and, um, That was really hard for me. I mean, I had to spend a lot of time. So, so it's so interesting. I'll, I'll give you a, like fast forward a bunch of years, right? A bunch of years. So now I'm speaking and, you know, Montel was, was just giving me some advice and I, but I still had my baggage. I still had my, I mean, I had my stuff. And one of the things that's really interesting is, you know, if you, want to succeed in this business you really have to and you want to make some big bucks you have to be comfortable in speaking with a wide variety of audiences most of my audiences ended up in the beginning were you know hispanic hispanic families hispanics um then i then i went into you know communities with lots of african-american and you know then there were, you know, more diverse groups and i started getting into diversity stuff and i started speaking in diversity you know and there'd be And, and doing all that, and I realized that, and I had heard it, right? I had heard this, that if you really want to stay, start making money, you have to be able to talk to men. You have to, you have to be really, 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 really good at speaking to male-dominated audiences. Mm -hmm. Like, really good at it. Not just, you got to be good at it, really good. And so, okay, boom. So for me... There, there's my wall, right? It's like, ah, oh, I remember. Oh, like, ah. Oh. So I started actually booking myself to speak for free in front of rotaries. I will tell you the sweat that would be coming down of mine before I even spoke, coming down back. Now, I had already been doing speeches. Oh, I was going to that those groups the sweat the fear the all my stuff was was i haven't told anybody i haven't talked about this in years so i don't even know why i'm talking about it now but clearly i'm being moved um this is you know i'm being used by the by the force to just be where i need to be mm -hmm. um so i so i so doing that because i had to confront myself I had to shift my perspective. I had to work myself through this. I had to make sure that I got this, right? And it was a calling. It was a mission. It was like, it doesn't matter how frightened I was. I had to do this. And so I really started learning about how to build connections, how to look for similarities, how to look at what we both what these people in the audience who I perceived as being so different from me and their experiences and I, what did we have in common? Mm -hmm. What can I make that's authentic and relatable between the two of us? M meaning the audience and me, right? Mm -hmm. um, and how can I let go of my stuff so I could be present in the moment and serve? Mm -hmm. 
And that's something that's not easy for people to do. I know certainly it wasn't easy for me to do. I don't, I don't know that a lot of people spend time doing that, right? You're really looking at what's the stuff that's stopping you from being who, by playing at a bigger game and getting through your stuff, getting through your, your stuff because my stuff was creating some blockages, right? When I started finding the connections, so I found some really awesome connections. So um, the awesome connections of loving your family. Like that is a huge connector. Like I know I love my family and I learned, I, but let me tell you, it didn't happen the first time. It was like, it was more like me going into this, this maze in my head mm. to get to that. Oh, they love you too, right? They love their families. So we have a connection about that. Um, a connection in insecurities that my perception was you're, you're cool. You're confident. You know what you're doing. That was my perception. Now they're as insecure, scared and all that stuff as, as I am. Right. Um, the, the sense of juggle, oh my God, juggling family, the kids, the, 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 the events, the, the health, the life that, so I thought only I had that. I never realized that they had that. Do, do you get, yes, so, that so for somebody listening here, I, I know this is for you. I know that what I'm sharing right now is maybe, I don't know who you are, but if you're watching this, I will tell you that this, that what I just was for you. You got to get over whatever is your perception of other people so that if you want to be successful in this business, you're going to have to move past that. And I'm not, I'm the first one to say it is not easy to do, but you got to do it anyway. So, uh, so you, um, speaking back about, um, you said about basically wanting to, to win at a, another level, you had to go and start to speak uh, to men. So what, what, what helped you with that transition to speaking uh, for free uh, to get your foot in the door? So, so there, so there's a couple of things that goes from free to pay. Um, and I'm going to lay out some stuff and it has nothing to do with having a book and it has nothing to do with a new media and it has nothing to do with any of that stuff. It has to do with, are you, in, are you concise? In other words, you can have a story, but the story's got to have a point, right? So are you concise? Are you funny? Funny, you probably have heard of this already, funny pays. And I don't mean being a stand-up comic, but you can't be on stage for 45 minutes and be so monotone and be so educational with that, think about your school teachers, okay? Um, 
there were school teachers that were just monotone. Most of you don't remember any of your school teachers. The two school teachers that you remember were the ones that were a little bit, um, that brought passion and, and made you laugh and made you feel respected because they understood you and there was, there was some sense of joy. The second one that you remember is the one that was really hard on you and elevated you and forced you to do what you didn't think you could do, right? Speaking is kind of a combination of the, those two things. You have to be able to be relatable and laugh and bring the humanity into your programs as well as stretch people so they could be to a next higher level, right? So in your speaking, you have to be able to do that. So I don't care what your topic is, if you want to get paid, you have to make sure you do that. You have to make sure um, when you're getting paid that people feel that you're looking at them, that you're caring about them, that it's not about you. So you've got to make sure that as you're, if you're paid, you're looking here so they feel like you're looking at them. You're looking here so they feel like looking, looking here so you feel, because you have to engage them. There's no doubt about it. Um, the, the other piece that happens with referrals is, and this is important, when they say, we'd love you to bring you in. How much do you charge to not puke? I'm waiting for you all to get that one. When they say they want to hire you, you are not to puke. You are not to say, <laughs> really? <laughs> You're not to say that. You're just say, that is so great. I look forward to speaking with you. And they say, well, how much do you charge? And since you're talking to women in this group, you know, it's anything above $500. So here's what's going to happen. Some of you, that will make you puke. What's your fee? $500. $500? Is that it? Now they go, is that it? It's like, well, that's $500 just to get me there. If you'd like my tip book or my website, then there's an added charge because the way they, they just said, it seems like they have, might have more money with them, right? Mm -hmm. Other times, or the other best way is, how much did you pay your last speaker? Hmm. And they'll say, oh, well, the last speaker we had, we spent $1,500. <sighs> $1,500. I guess I could do that. You get what I'm saying? Yes. 